Welcome back, Warriors, Tunse, Sego, Anibuju, Kuenin, Deloisi, Pam Palmer, and I'm the host of this show, The Warrior Life. This podcast is a show about living the warrior life, a lifestyle that focuses on decolonizing our minds, bodies, and spirits, while at the same time revitalizing our cultures, traditions, laws, and governing practices. And it's also about asserting, living, and defending our sovereignty all over Turtle Island. And the work of our land defenders and water protectors on the ground never stops. And lately, it seems like government, industry, and law enforcement have all ramped up their attacks on us from coast to coast all over our sovereign Indigenous territories. For the third time, heavily armed RCMP invaded Wet'suwet'en territory and violently arrested and removed Wet'suwet'en peoples and their relations from their own territories. The photos and videos are shocking, like something out of a horror movie, watching RCMP using an axe to hack their way in and a chainsaw to get at Wet'suwet'en peoples who were peaceful and unarmed is just hard to believe. It's important to note that the Wet'suwet'en have never ceded or surrendered their lands. They have always lived on those territories. And that the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, other international laws, and Indigenous laws protect our right from forced removals from our territories. Even the United Nations has intervened in this scenario, telling Canada to stop coastal gasoline pipeline, get rid of the RCMP, and get rid of all of their lethal weapons. But the good news is the Wet'suwet'en are not alone. They have allies in our sovereign nations all over Turtle Island, including Mohawks or Kayankahaga people. And some of the people that traveled to Wet'suwet'en territory to go there to support them were Logan and Layla Stotts, and of course, Skylar Williams. They are all from Six Nations of the Grand River Territory that's part of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy. Skylar is an iron worker by trade, Layla is an independent filmmaker, and Logan, of course, is a musician that everybody knows, and they are all here today to talk about what happened over in Wet'suwet'en territory and why it's so important that we stand beside one another in our collective struggles against state-based genocide. Welcome to the show, everybody. Hey, glad to be here, fam. Yola, thank you for having us. No, it's awesome. Okay, so on this show, we always start out with introductions so you can introduce yourself and the way you like to. Skylar, maybe we'll start with you. I'm Skylar Williams. I'm a Mohawk Wolf Clan from Six Nations. Uh, you know, I've been the spokesperson at 1492 Landback Lane for the last year and a half. So that's me. Yeah, and sometimes when we're talking, the cops show up. So we're all just going <laughs> to keep a watchful eye. <laughs> okay, Layla, how about you? Uh, Sego, I'm Layla Stats, Mohawk Turtle Clan from the Six Nations of the Grand River. Uh, I have been filming a documentary about the water, about water insecurity and First Nations communities and, uh, you know, really passionate about telling these stories and being the voice of the water. Awesome. And how about you, Logan? I know you don't need any introduction, but for those who might be tuning in from New Zealand. Sego, I'm Logan Stotts, singer, songwriter, storyteller from Six Nations. Uh, yeah. 
It's my sister awesome. Layla. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I love how you're all like one big family. Well, let's uh, let's give listeners some background. So we're not going to go over the whole history of everything that happened in Wet'suwet'en territory <coughs> because this is literally the third raid. You can go back and listen to past episodes. Let's, let's get a little bit of background about why you all went to Wet'suwet'en territory and talk a little bit about what happened when you first got there. Maybe Skylar, we can start with you. About a month and a half ago, two months ago, um, a friend of mine that, uh, from from that from that area gave me a call and and you know was talking about you know the work that they were doing and the building that was happening and you know the 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 support and the solidarity that was needed and you know a few uh, two years ago uh the hereditary chiefs here in six nations pledged to stand behind the hereditary chiefs in in Wet'suwet'en territory and you know what for some of us that uh that means something, you know, and that, that obligates us to, to make sure we're doing everything that we can, including putting boots on the ground so that we can stand shoulder to shoulder with those folks. And um, it's, uh, so yeah, I guess that was kind of the spur for me anyways to, to get me moving. And it was uh, like, yeah, it was uh, quite the experience going out there for the first couple of weeks to, you know, just to be able to build things, to be able to, to you know, add add whatever I can to, to help uh, secure secure their lands because I know what, how hard it is and what it takes to to make those kind of stands and you know for us at 1492 land back lane like we had you know just the the level of solidarity and support that we got like you know I just it, it's unbelievable and so like uh, for for us I mean you know and we've done similar things with the uh, encampment support network folks in Toronto and Hamilton and uh, surrounding areas in southern Ontario and and so like you know when when people are making those call outs because you know every time every single time we did Six Nations you know people showed up in droves you know like by the hundreds to to make sure that our our voices were heard and so I think it is it is on us to you know pay that back and you know to, to everybody. And and what about you Layla and Logan what made you travel to Wet'suwet'en territory? I was actually inspired by my brother. So he went out there first uh, a few weeks before and, you know, it, it sparked <coughs> him. So I'll share, let you share first. Oh <coughs> well, yeah. You know, I've become uh, just over the last couple of years doing, doing uh, things down at land back lane. I've gotten pretty tight with Skyler, you know, and he's become a really good friend of mine, a brother of mine, a mentor of mine. And he told me that, uh, you know, they were asking for a strong man out there, you know, and, and they needed some assistance. I was like, well, I'm a strong man, you know, what can I do to help, you know? Because I've been kind of just directing my musical energy, my creative energy towards it, but I really wanted to do more than that. And just like, you know, get down there and get my boots on the ground, you know? And uh, just know for myself, you know, that I made an effort to, to be down there and to contribute. Yeah, and I, uh, so when I saw my brother there and I saw him, you know, taking a drink, out of this pristine river, this untouched river. Uh, you know, I've I've been filming this documentary about water and I've seen rivers that, well, even our own river on Six Nations, the Grand River, you know, I've seen rivers that are almost past the point of repair. You know, they're poison, 10,000 salmon dying. Uh, you know, these people, their livelihood, their whole connection to that land is through that river and it's it's, you know, it's contaminated. So when I saw this river, I was, 
you know, I was called to it. I, I, I had this, this, this pull inside of me that said, you know, this is a river that we need to save. And it's, it's bigger than just one river. And when we got there, uh, you know, just seeing the incredible connection uh, that the Wet'suwet'en people have with this land, with the water, with, you know, the, the elders barely leave the territory. Um, and then also to see firsthand, to look them in the eyes when they're talking about what they call as Mordor, where the, where they, the pipeline has clear-cut their forests and, and their the habitats, seeing the actual pain inside of them, seeing they're actually grieving a loss there that they feel on a deep level. Uh, and so, you know, that's the, that's what we, we have to bring back. That's, that's what's missing in our society is that deeper connection, that, that feeling, that essence, that relationship that you have with a river, with the trees, uh, those are not just things that are existing in our world, but we are actually, you know, connected to them on a very cellular level. So, yeah, I was called there to, you know, do what I could, do more. I, I, I'd learned about all these water insecurities, and I'm like, you know what, I, I want to actually do something. I want to actually tell these stories from the ground uh, and get these stories out there. You know how different nations are pulled together for different reasons. And I can't help but note, you know, like um, Mohawk, Grand people, they still have a traditional governance. They still have the longhouse. You know, Wet'suwet'en people, they still govern by their feast and by their laws. And Mi'kmaq people, we still have our traditional Grand Council. And just look at how co close we all interact and support one another because we have that really, we, we've never forgotten what our traditional laws and responsibilities are. Um, and, and so Skylar, when you were out there, like I've had the privilege to meet the hereditary leaders and people like Frida Hewson. And, you know, they always come off to me as very kind and loving and generous. And they're not looking for conflict. They're simply wanting to be able to live in their territory and make decisions over their territory that will protect their water and, and all the plants and animals. Did you experience it? Well, like, what was your experience out there helping them through this process? Yeah, no, I just, uh, I, I don't know if I was helping more than just taking direction from, you know, and I think that's kind of part of the the bit for us when we go to other territories and, you know, like, the, it's, it's not about giving, you know, our two cents on how things should or shouldn't be done or, you know, like, certainly to be able to tell a story to say like this is how we did it but you know for us it's just about taking taking direction and you know where to where to build a thing where to you know wh what we can do to help what like and so yeah it's just you know and so it what, what i end up meaning though is that me and logan just carried logs for the first two weeks that we were there and <laughs> you know built a cabin and like it's yeah it was uh, my shoulders were sore for for a week afterward, but like, yeah, no, it was, uh, yeah, I think, and like, just I guess the humility and the 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 grace that these, you know, uh, very similar to our Confederacy chiefs here in Six Nations, that you know, like they just are able to, you know, see that see that path forward in a way that like in a way that a lot of folks can't, and you know, it's it, it it's uh, it's a really humbling experience, I guess, for me to be able to 
to have that uh, opportunity to, you know, drink from that river and, you know, have those experiences and have those ashes put on your face that is, you know, kind of their welcoming ceremony was something for me that was, you know, a, like a really, a really touching thing for me to be able to, you know, be welcomed into their territory in such a way. Well, Logan, I was wondering if you were aware, like the rest of us who aren't there when these things are happening, you know, we knew there was a call out from what Soatin saying, it looks like the RCMP are going to ramp up, you know, and they make calls for people to come to camp or make donations or organize behind the scenes. And we're all doing different things. But when I saw all of you, like Skylar and you and Layla there, it was just one of those things where for all the people who couldn't be there, it felt like such a relief to know that there were people out there helping the Wet'suwet'en. Is that, were you aware of just how many people were so happy that you were out there? Um, you know, the thing, the thing about it is there's, it's really kind of hard to stay in contact with everyone out there. It's not the same, like land back here is far from, you know, humanity. But when you're out there on the Yinta, you know, like it's hard to get a hold of people, you know, see, so it's kind of hard to tell what's going on back home. And, you know, you're really busy and you're there every single day and you're actually drinking from this river, right? Like everybody on camp is fueled by the Wazinkwa River, you know, we're all drinking it. And our bodies are made of 80% water, you know, so as, as you're out there, you slowly actually physically become the river, you know, and it's kind of weird. It's, it's infectious. Like you can't stop thinking about it. You can't stop thinking about how you're going to help. You know, and as soon as I went home, I could still feel it in me and I could still feel it inside my thought process and just like wanting to be there, wanting to save it. Even right now, like I'm I'm freaking out because those machines are getting closer to that river as we speak, you know. And and Layla, what about you? I mean, you went out there because you were inspired by your brother, but we're all inspired by you because you made the the journey out there to like stand beside our brothers and sisters out in Wet'suwet'en territory. Yeah, and this as as Haudenosaunee women, it's one of our responsibilities to be protecting the water and to preserve it and to carry on, you know, the water songs and and to be part of that. So for me, it was it was a you know a deeper calling. It was a, an opportunity for us to acknowledge that the traditional people of this land have not given consent and they say no and for me it's been too long where they've been saying no and no one has been listening and so whatever we can do whether it's you know standing in the face of you know a wall of terror and fear that was you know encroaching on us on this bridge or you know just standing our ground holding their hand letting them know that they're not alone giving that space where the world can actually see uh, that these people are peaceful and they they just want to protect what is, you know, for, for our next generations, for their next gener generations on that land. Uh, you know, we got, we got to meet some of the youth uh, that were out there. And, you know, his grandma said, you're doing it for my grandson. You're doing it for him. He looks at you like heroes. And, uh, you know, that was just to to think about that, that young man that's going to grow up on that land and, like you think about it, do we want him to have to fight for that? Do we want him to have to stare down a barrel of a gun um, to be able to live on that land, you know? And it just makes it feel so significant what we're doing right now. It's just the time is now for our voices to come together and 
and, and, and be that roar, be loud. Well, and what really strikes me is that everybody goes out there in the name of love and support and compassion, you know, despite what the RCMP might refer to us as, or what the government says, you know, always trying to vilify us. Ultimately, all the people that are involved in this are out there out of love and support and kindness. Like it's not at all how they present it. And one of the things we were talking about just before we started recording was one of the best things, I guess it really raised our hopes when we saw all of you there and you peacefully walked out the RCMP from the territory. And it was like this, you know, these little glimmers of hope, these little small victories that you were able to say, you know, get off what so it's in territory and walk them out. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, uh, Skylar? Like what, what led up to that? What happened? Oh, I mean, like that was about a month ago and like to see the RCMP coming in and tampering with their water, you know, destroying the, the water tanks and uh, messing with food, doing like just coming in and just being ignorant and disrespectful to the entire camp and, you know, uh, walking into spaces, you know, and um, just trying to, to, to intimidate and, and kind of, you know, wear their guns around in a way that, you know, like, I don't care what situation it is, you know, bringing a gun to it never makes it better. And um, and I think that was kind of the thing for me that uh, kind of the leadership out there said like that, like, we need to, we need to, we need to stand against that. Like, we can't continue to let them come in and do that. And so, you know, we just stood our ground, you know, and we said, you know what, if, if they're going to arrest us, then they can arrest us. But, but we have to tell them that like, they're not welcome here and that they got to go. And, and so I, I, I think we were able to, we were able to do that anyways for, for the, the short term and, you know, and, you know, have my brother Logan standing beside me there and, and Shiloh and, uh, and, and, uh, and Jay from Aguazaste, you know, to, to be able to stand there and say, you know what, I, I don't care what, what, what you got on your hip there. Like we're, we're going to stand here and we're going to make sure in as peaceful a way as we can make sure that you guys understand that you're not wanted here and this is trespassing and you're, you know, like you're, you're you're coming in here to you know bring that violence here, and that's and we're not going to tolerate that. And they're always the ones to bring the guns to the table. I mean, I often wonder. On one hand, they're giving political statements in the media while you guys are out there saying, "Well, you know, we thought we were in negotiations, and now there's no negotiations." But how can you really negotiate when your people are staring down the barrel of a gun? I mean, Layla, like. How does that make you feel when you're out there? There's already so much state violence against Indigenous women, for example. And here, you know, you going out there, you know, there's RCMP, you know, they bring guns to the table and not just guns, but those guys bring like snipers and, and every other kind of weapon possible. Is that, does that ever concern you? Oh, yeah. Like, uh, you know, I just recall standing on the on that bridge and, and looking down the road, seeing, you know, RCMP, 100 RCMP coming up in formation towards you. And uh, you, hear, you hear helicopters in the air circling. They had dogs on leashes that were snarling and barking and pulling at their leashes, just ready to attack. And there is an unwavering fear. And it was almost paralyzing, almost, you know, you wanted to tuck into my little turtle shell and, uh, you know, hide and run. But uh, in that moment, 
you know, standing shoulder to shoulder with these people that you love, with the people that you have come to see as your family, that you see as one. There's no tribe lines. There's no clan lines. We are all in this together. Uh, you know, I just from somewhere found this voice inside me and I started to sing at the cops and I started to sing this song that I wrote of, about peace, the white pine, the tree of peace, bearing our hatchets, one of our stories of the peacemaker uh, and just, you know, projecting that from somewhere from the depths of my, you know, my soul inside and just singing through that fear. Um, it didn't matter though. They still came. They still had this aggression. They still had this terror and fear, military greens with assault rifles. And, uh, you know, the, the most vivid memory that I have from that bridge is, well, one of them is the, uh, the RCMP that was at the front of that formation. And he was carrying a large stick and he had this stick. It was like a, almost like a broomstick, like a large broomstick. And he was waving it around his head and he waved it and everyone in that group those rcmp all did this <gasps> grunt like that all together like 100 guys uh you know like that's really and it just i remember it hitting me like in my heart like thinking okay they are they are on an attack mode and we could definitely be hurt we could be hurt um and so there's that 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 in your mind constantly but anchoring yourself in that peace and you know like we are here for a reason and what what is happening here is not right and we will stand beside these people and we will stand as one uh in in you know in resistance in saying no and then seeing my brother you know like you we uh we knew we couldn't keep the line. They were breaking right through surrounding us. They had no intention of peace or talking or, you know, negotiations. There was none of that. Uh, they were just barging in. So we just grabbed around Auntie Janet, this, this elder, and just bear hugged her and started singing the Mohawk water song by Bear Fox. And, uh, you know, I remember seeing them grab my brother and grab him off of there and just you know, the sea of, of police forces on top of him, grabbing him by his braids and smashing his face into the into the cement and ice and him crying out like I can't breathe. And as an older sister, you're just like everything in you wants to react in rage and just say, get the let your get your hands off of him. Like how dare you touch him and touch his braids? You know, I kept saying that I was like they were going through like his medicine pouch and like ripping everything out. And I'm, we're like, that's sacred, you know, like you want to get angry. Um, but I knew that that, you know, that would put me in danger for one with this aggressive force and also go against, you know, exactly what I was standing there to do. Um, and so, you know, seeing my brother not fight back and not throw punches and not, you know, like, uh, react with anger back. It was, it was a powerful moment for us. And there were so many times when you just feel sick, you know, like when the cop put me in the back of his car after we were arrested and taken off the bridge, put me in, shut the door and winked at me as, as a woman, I was, I was like, okay, I can't, I can't press charges for a cop winking at me. I can't even prove that he just did that. It's my word against his, but I know this feeling inside of me from it. And I knew, you know, I was just like, it was rage. It was absolute rage and um, thinking, you know, humiliation and degrading and like this power trip that they had over us. 
Um, and it continued, you know, through the whole experience. It was, it was really just scratching the surface of what Indigenous people face in the criminal law system. You know, like we, I just got like a tiny taste of it, but it was enough for me to say, "Whoa, there's there's big problems here, and this is this is not right." Oh, of course, and and Logan, like when when you were making your way out to Wet'suwet'en territory, did you fully expect that this is probably what would happen, that the RCMP at some point would invade and arrest everybody that was there? Yeah, it's kind of a looming thing, you know, like, because, you know, our communicate, like, we know what's going to happen down there, you know, we knew that they were coming, we knew, you know, how many were, were coming, uh, you know, and, uh, he did not want me on that bridge. <laughs> no, I did not um, want my sister on that bridge, you know, and uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's still, honestly, honestly, it's hard for me to talk about. It's hard for mm -hmm. me to talk about right now because I'm still emotional over it. I'm still yeah, like, yeah. still kind of thinking, shake it all off. You know, when something like that happens to you, it, it's, it's this lingering feeling, you know, that, that uh, you got to kind of work through. And uh, it was a really intense moment. You know, I just remember kind of knowing what was going to happen. I, and I remember, you know, I'm pretty, uh, you know, I've dealt with the OPP here a couple of times. And I'm, I'm pretty uh, new when it comes to the RCMP, right? So I just kind of asked Skyler, like, dude, like, what do we do? What do we do at that moment? Like, when we're face to face with these guys. Like, what am I doing? Am I fighting? Is that what I'm doing? Like, cause, and he's like, no, man. <laughs> you know, he's like, just grab me. You know, or if anyone gets taken by the cops, that's your job. Just grab and pull them back to the line and defend. And I'm like, okay, I can do that. You know, I know I can do that. So uh, out there in that moment, that's all I could think about. It's just like keeping our people close to us, you know, and, and doing my best to do that. You know, all I could see was my brother grab a hold of my coat and would not let go. For And, you know, you, I didn't even know. Uh, 15, 20 cops all taking shots at me and my bro and just like us just doing what we can to hold on to each other until, until my coat ripped off me anyway. And, and so, and then we hit the ground and like, well, when we hit the ground, it was this weird thing where we're both our heads just came together, like right face to face, like forehead to forehead on the, like drove into the ice and, you know, cops kneeing us in the back and in the ribs and, and you know what? Like, just to have a moment to be like, like, like look at, look, like look at Logan and be like, "Are you okay, man?" And like, I like, and he just, you know, yelled out, "I can't breathe." You know, I can't breathe. And like, you know, I just yelled, "You know, get the fuck off you!" Like he and and yeah, and like I don't know, it was it was quite the thing to see that amount of force for, you know, there was eight people on that bridge. You know, there was you know besides that there was two media people and some legal observer folks. But like the, the the people that were there, like that was there was eight people, eight people that were on that bridge that that weren't that weren't going to leave. Everybody else that was arrested there was media and, and legal observers. It's, it's a disgusting thing that in 2021, this is what we're still talking about. You know, like we're still having to deal with all of these um, situations where there's. Uh, cops with guns and dogs yeah, seeing half a dozen dogs pulling at their leashes you know just chomping at the bit to try and get at us uh, you know 30 guys with assault rifles um and you know 60 more with this guy it was much thicker than a broomstick though the guy had over his head like it was like a bit of a log like it was like this big but about the side length of a 
of a of a broomstick, and you know, you hear them guys grunting and walking in from formation, and it, it just it it was quite the stage, like it was like something out of a movie, like you'd see on, you know, some army movie or something like that, helicopters overhead and airplanes, and you know, like it. it I don't know, to arrest eight people, I thought that it, it was a bit, it, it seemed like a little bit of overkill there, you know? That was a whole lot of overkill. I mean, they're bringing guns to a scenario where there is no guns. It's just peaceful people. So, Skylar, what was the, like, progression of things? Because we saw things in bits and pieces, and sometimes <coughs> we didn't get to see it until afterwards when people were able to get the video out or the pictures out so the chronology was a little bit difficult but if let me know if i've got it right basically they arrested the people on the bridge first and then they went and hacked into the cabin is that how it went yeah yeah that's right and i mean like we were at 44 we were at 44 on the bridge there and i don't know like the uh uh coyote camp is another 20 kilometers up the hill from from us and so it was uh it, it took them quite some time to get through through us and and to get up to coyote camp and so it it was the it was the following day that they made it to uh to molly and them and uh in the in the tiny house where they you know hacked through with a an axe and uh and a chainsaw to get get access to them and so uh, but by then we had already, you know, been arrested. We'd already been, you know, beaten up and taken away. And so it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was quite the, quite, quite a couple of days there. And so, but yeah, we had already gotten taken away and we're waiting on bail when, uh, Molly and them were, uh, being violently arrested as well. So were all of you arrested and imprisoned for that whole weekend no no we got out uh friday evening yeah we got out friday night um uh, it was about 28 hours uh that we were um detained and uh then the raided the raids continued for two days so they continued and um then another group of about 15 people were arrested and they were uh, held for the entire weekend because they were arrested on the Friday. Um, Just from what we could see and what was being reported on social media and the videos and the pictures, all of it looked very violent. Like all of you talked about being physically hurt by the RCMP and that experience. And then the other thing that we saw on social media was um, you saying that they were putting you in these little tiny like almost like dog cages and the RCMP are saying, Oh, none of this happened. Yeah. Um, so that was the, so after we got arrested, uh, all, everybody got thrown into a paddy wagon. We were transported to Houston. Um, and Houston is kind of the, the closest town. It, it, it's right at the start of the logging road that leads up to the camps. And when we got there, uh, we were stripped down to what uh, a single layer is what we were told and to, to strip down to a single layer and so I mean you know you are two hours from the Alaskan border so like it is it is very cold there's a foot and a half snow outside and so you got lots of those layers on and so um, 
you know, we stripped down to our underwear and uh, were put into um, put into holding cells. Um, Logan and I and another guy from from out there, and uh, uh, we're put into one cell, and, and all the women in, in, in other cells. And we were there for processing. We got done. We got done that. Had our talk with our lawyer, and then they wanted to transport us to Smithers, which is kind of closer to the courtroom, courthouse. Uh, we got. We got all there. We got loaded into uh, uh, another paddy wagon. Uh, the three boys were in there first, and in our underwear. And but now we're wearing shackles, like our ankles and our wrists. And uh, yeah, we were transported with with all the women as well in their underwear. Uh, there was eight of us in that paddy wagon that went from from uh, Houston to Smithers, all in the same paddy wagon. Uh, everybody in their underwear, everybody in shackles. And we got to Smithers. Uh, we spent the night there. Again, it was me and Logan and the other. Uh, there was only three men that were arrested of the 15. Um, uh, we were transported. We w woke up in the morning, uh, you know, kind of washed our faces and stuff and got ready to go to court. And when the guard came and got us to go to court, uh, I immediately asked right away, like, you know, like, am I gonna, where's my clothes? And, uh, and when I got out to the processing area, I seen my bag there. I reached down to grab it and I said, no, 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 you got to stay in one layer. You got to stay in one layer till we get to the courthouse. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to court in my underwear, like not happening. And, uh, and, but he's like, oh, your, your bag's going with you. It'll be ready for you when you're, it'll be there for you when you're ready for it. Okay, whatever. And uh, Logan and the other guy went out first, and they were loaded in the back of an SUV. I walked around the back. Uh, I was led to the back, sorry, by my arm and in shackles and in my underwear still. And he opened the hatch of this uh, SUV, and in the back of it, it uh, anybody that's got a big dog, you know, is well aware of these like dog cages. They're like a three foot, three foot deep, three foot tall about two foot wide uh, dog cage. And so there was two of them in the back of this uh, SUV with their, they're, they're wrapped in plexiglass and like bolted to the ground. And like, and so like they're, they're, they're like, they're meant as prisoner transportation. And like, and as I got back there, he kind of point, kind of motioned for me to jump in. And I said, I'm not driving, I'm not, not getting in that. No, I'm not, not riding in a dog cage to go to court. It's like, you got 37 cars out in the parking lot. Let's go grab another one of those and you can take me to court in that. And he said, uh, you know what? We got, the judge said they got an hour for court today. And so if you want to make a big, big thing about this, well, we can sit here and argue about it, but there's 15 other people or 14 other people that have been arrested with you that are going to be, that are going to be late for court too. So you can decide what you want to do. And so, of course, you know, I took a deep breath and bit my tongue as hard as I possibly could. And in my shackles, tried to shimmy my way into this little dog crate in the back of this SUV. And you're dragging your feet along, trying to pull yourself into it. And like, to, um, to kind of, I don't know, it, it, like when that, when that cop closed that door and it's just this little door with just this little handle on it. And like of the whole two days, you know, that 10 minute ride from the Smithers RCMP detachment to the courthouse. Like that was like that, that, that was the longest 10 minutes of those two 
It's like that was the longest bit of time that you sit there and you you know you stare at the hinges like you know like I I think I could kick that off like I'm I'm a big strong guy I can I can I can uh, I can kick that right off absolutely like let's I'm I'm done being in here like if we don't if we don't stop in the next ten seconds I'm I'm losing my mind here and and so I think that was uh, I think that 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 part of it was the kind of the most degrading the most you know because like I've been doing this a long time you know I've been at these front lines and zipper wash and you know I've, I've tried to jump into every thing that to help wherever i can and you know i think there's a level of acceptance around you know like we're going to take a shit kick and we're gonna we're gonna get we're gonna get treated very very poorly by the cops and like that for me was one of the one of those moments that was like you know like a, an extra big stick in the back for you know like what that means well it's just inhumane it's inhumane. They don't have to then rub it in your face and then treat you that way. What What about you, uh, Layla and Logan? Were you also, was this all happening to you two at the same time? Yeah, well, I was actually, I, I went after. Logan uh, Logan went with Skylar to, to court at that time. They transported them first. I just remember being left in the cells, seeing them leave and, you know, like waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, asking, you know, where's my brother? Where, where have you taken them? Like they just were, they wouldn't give us any information. Um, but yeah, it was uh, the court is something that I, I don't think I'll ever forget in my life. And I've never been to court before. I've never, you know, been charged or been in trouble with the law. Um, so that was my first experience. And to be taken in that way with, you know, down to my like, skin tight spandexy long johns uh in you know ankle shackles my wrist shackled you know my hair's all crazy because i've been in jail all night and i'm just like i was just like man i, I look like a freaking criminal like i look like a serious criminal and i'm walking through the court you see strangers you see police officers you see court officials you know you don't know who these people are that are here to watch you um, but you, you know, shuffle along in front of them up to your seat. And, uh, you know, I just remember in that moment feeling like, like I have been criminalized for something that should not be illegal in the first place, um, that should not have been allowed. Uh, and, you know, this is not right how I'm feeling. And then to go back to my cell after court and realize that my court or my cellmates who were, uh, well, not, not it, like, uh, not Haudenosaunee, uh, you know, they were a Asian and uh, Caucasian and, you know, they, they weren't actually boot shackled the same way. They were, they didn't have any, uh, uh, cuffs on their ankles. They weren't made to shuffle like that. Some of them didn't even have handcuffs on their wrists. So then I, then I started to get very enraged and think, why were we, like paraded through court like that to made to feel like that uh and and others weren't how does that how do you decide which ones you're gonna like which ones are dangerous we were the dangerous ones uh you know i just it it really started to make me angry and there were so many moments that you know that i think of now that still bring anger um and i think that that's one of the things that's hard to process when you come back is this anger that you feel um and how to reframe it re redirect it back into something that's going to going to make a difference uh you know like understanding 
this this idea of unity and focusing on the fact that we stood together in those moments and you know nation to nation coast to coast literally um all standing together and and creating this voice for you know indigenous rights for indigenous stories for indigenous uh lands and waters and treaties and you know like all of these things we must stand up and speak and now it's happening I think that's one of the bits of the story I think that kind of get lost in the shuffle though is the court experience. And so, um, so like any, any courtroom, any jailhouse, they all look very, very similar. There's just a series of one nondescript door to the next, to the next, to the next. So like shuffling along in my, in my underwear and socked feet along this concrete floor, going through door after door until you go through one door. Cause like you got a chain that's hanging between your ankles and you're like trying not to trip over it. And, um, and until when, until the, you know, the floor changed, it went from this painted concrete floor to a red carpet. And you know, you're, you know, I, I might've been four or five steps into it before I, it, it dawned on me to look up to where I was and to see that I'm in a courtroom in an open court, not a zoom court, not a whatever, but there's court workers, there's guards, there's, there's community members, there's press, there's all of these people there that are there to, to witness this spectacle. And because there was three of us, there was uh, me and Logan and another guy from there that were, um, that were up in court at the same time. And so they didn't put us in the prisoner's box. They put us over in the jury uh, gallery. And so we had to walk along the bar in front of the court between like the, the judge and the, the kind of the body of the court, uh, you know, and shuffle along in your, in your underwear as you, you know, try not to trip over this chain, taking these little six inch time. And like, and like, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a law nerd, you know I had learned as much as I can is to 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 do this stuff. Like a, I'm by no means a lawyer, but you know I have learned enough about this that you know there's some there's some problems with this. But for people that don't know, like a civil civil to civil uh, a civil arrest is uh, is a little bit different than uh, being charged criminally. And so you get taken into this judge in in front of this judge, superior court judge in BC. And this is the same judge that granted the developer or the pipeline CGL the uh, the injunction against uh, the Wet'suwet'en people, and who's pissed off that you're that you violated her injunction. And the person that is arguing for your detainment is not the is not a crown attorney that represents the federal government. It is not the crown attorney that represents the the province it is quite like and you know and it's funny because we always talk about we always talk about you know like the crowns and all of these and the judges they all represent you know the corporations and these big companies and the resource extractors and all the rest and you know we always talk about it like that but in this case it actually was the lawyer for cgl who was arguing for a continued detainment that was setting the like bail conditions sorry and so the uh, the to have CGL's lawyer setting those conditions and arguing for a continued detainment, and it's it, like 
you know, like in that situation, like something is certainly is broken with this with this system. When these are the people that are arguing for your detainment, when these are the people that are adjudicating whether or not we're going to get out, and I'm sitting there in my fucking underwear, shackled from my wrist to my feet, and 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 the judge just kept on saying over and over and over again, "I only have an hour." We need to get this done. We need to get this done. And I know all of the constitutional issues that are wrong with what the fuck is happening right now. But instead of being able to pipe up, I know that there are 14 other people that aren't going to see their families that night if I make a fucking deal about this. I know that there are 14 other people that aren't going to be able to, you know, go home, that aren't going to be able to do or say or do anything because, you know what, there's, there's a problem. And to feel like, you know, like you have the right to, like, you, you, you should have the right to say something in those moments. But to be told, well, you know, if we don't get this done, and the judge said that on the record of several times, if we don't get this done, we're going to have to put this over till Monday, Tuesday, maybe even Wednesday. And so to have that be the constant over and over and over again, while you're sitting there in your shackles and underwear, while you've just gone through this fucking 10 minute fucking car ride in a fucking dog cage, you know what? It was like, those are some moments there that I just, you know, like you, you, you rage at and you, 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 you do whatever you can to just push that down so that, you know, that you're not affecting the other 14 people that were arrested. And it's the stuff nobody sees. None of that's in the media. None of that. There's no, you know, observer videos of that stuff. That's what all of you go through. It's that it's the unseen injustices that nobody knows about, like including me. I don't know. I didn't see any of that. But all of you had to go through that. You know, it's one thing I think when it's me. You know, like I've been through this a hundred times. You know, I I I I know what it's like. I know that we're going to get the shit, we're going to get a shit deal. But you know, when it's, when it's like Layla and Logan, who've never been in trouble like this before, you know, I've never been arrested, have no criminal records. Like why the fuck are they even being held for bail? Yeah. Like the idea that they even got held for bail is an absolutely ridiculous thought to me. Like, but here, here we are standing in front of this judge and in front of this other lawyer arguing for our release when like they've never even they've never felt cuffs on their wrists before they've never been in trouble of any kind before and here they are having the same treatment as like like uh, as murderers and rapists and like all the rest like that like that to me is fucking disgusting this is 2021 like how the, how are we talking about the un declaration on the rights yeah. of indigenous people how are we talking about truth and reconciliation calls to action like how are we talking about any of that bullshit in government how are we having those conversations within all of these houses of government? I don't care whether that's provincially or federally or municipally, all these fucking land acknowledgement bullshit. Sorry for my language. No. But like, it is absolutely disgusting thought that this is the treatment that indigenous people are getting. And I mean, it's no different at Land Back Lane. It's no different on the East Coast. It's no different when it came to Kitigan Zibi and their Moose Moratorium or the Tiny House Warriors. Like, it is the same thing over and over and over again. 
And it is only in solidarity with each other. It's only in unity with each other. And so when we start standing behind those voices that are saying absolutely no to development, absolutely not, we aren't going to sit back and do nothing. We aren't going to sit back and, and, and let our women be dragged in front of these courtrooms in their fucking underwear in shackles. Like it, like that, like if it breaks my fucking heart every time I hear Layla fucking tell that fucking story. Because you know what, like that, like that, uh, that bit of that is something that, you know, we need to, we need to make sure that those things don't keep on happening. And you know what, like, I don't care where you are, whether you're in a camp in downtown Toronto or in a bush at Landback Lane or up in the mountains, like, I got your back and I, and I know Logan and Layla, I know they do too. And we're going to fucking do everything we can to stand behind whatever whatever's going on because you know what like it is only in these moments where we can stand in solidarity mm -hmm. that we can make sure that that doesn't happen to any more of our women or our brothers or sisters anywhere and it is only when we stand together and we say that that is absolutely fucking unacceptable and we're going to make sure that those those things don't happen again and i think you said something really key uh uh talking about the media you know because i think that that's something that has really affected me uh, greatly is, you know, reading the media and watching the media, um, watching how, you know, we're portrayed. Um, you know, I think the first act that really stood out to me on this journey was when I got there and the, the, uh, the eviction notice was enforced, this eviction notice that had been standing, um, that had not been taken seriously for almost a year, now was being enforced and 10, 10 hours given to evacuate the uh, the man camp and not one person left. Uh, you know, that message was never communicated to the staff that this was going on with the people of the territory and they wanted, you know, they wanted them to leave. Uh, and then being later portrayed, you know, as we, as, as hostages and portraying us in a violent way that we were ha trying to harm these people, um, you know, coming back in, <laughs> you know, just being, uh, being, seeing that in that way and knowing that this story is not being told by the media in the right way, in the right light. Uh, and, you know, there, there are so many narratives at play and it is really hard to, uh, to have lived it and then to read about it and feel like it's not being accurately told. And, and do you feel the, the same way, Logan, in the sense that, you know, the media tends to vilify land defenders, but your story is you went out there with love and support. Like, that's what yeah. you did. That's what you brought. Yeah, you know, I've, I've uh, um, you know, I expect that sort of stuff from, from mainstream media and stuff, but... You know, even some of our own media outlets, you know, I was really disappointed in the way that they've, they've depicted it and they've, their version of the events, you know, and uh, I think that just reinforces, you know, that it's the job of, you know, the land defenders and the artists and the voices of the people to spread the right narrative because we can't count on, on these media outlets to, t to tell what's going on. And I, that's another reason that I'm down there, you know, is to use my platform and get those eyes on me while I'm down there and be able to tell the story from, you know, boots on the ground position, you know, with honesty and truth, 
and remove that filter of the media you know like that's one of my biggest jobs is just to amplify what's going on and to for people to to help people know the truth you know and uh, i think uh there's a lot of power like a lot of us indigenous folks we all have a, a phone on our hip now you know so um we can count on each other you know just to create the right narrative and, and count on uh, our peers to uh, to tell the truth not the media and it's so important that you did that. I mean, you have such a huge platform. And think of all of the youth that know you or listen to your music or follow you on social media. And so for them to see you go out to Wet'suwet'en territory in love and support and take that risk to your personal safety, the risk to your freedom, for the benefit of standing beside our brothers and sisters in the Wet'suwet'en territory, like that's got to profoundly impact all of the youth across the country that say look at logan look at what logan did you know like that's huge or like when derek miller went to 1492 land back lane when all of you were using your platforms i think that's so powerful and it also shows you're standing by skylar like skylar's not a villain skylar's not violent skylar's not dangerous skylar's like doing this out of love you know and that's the fact that you're doing that, it, it actually means so much, Logan, because there's a lot of people with platforms who don't use it to help our people, but they use it to criticize our people. So that's good on you that you you did that because clearly it impacts you. I mean, you're impacted by what happened. As we're wrapping up, I, I know you've all been through this, this horrible experience but I'm wondering if you have any words to share about how important it is that we do all support one another in this struggle, whether it's lobster on the East Coast or Haldeman Track here in Ontario or whether it's the Yinta out West. Like how important it is that we stick together in all of this? You know what? Like it's, it is absolutely a necessity. You know, like that, that bit of solidarity, that bit of love, you know, and, and, and you know, I've been to uh, enough of these front lines across all of Turtle Island now to know that that bit of love in all of this is the the biggest part of the biggest part. Of it. And uh, you know, I, I just in these moments, like I know lobster lobster season coming up out east, and I know that that is always a heavy heated moment. And so, you know what, I as as much as you know, things are going on in, in Wet'suwet'en territory and, and here in Six Nations right now, there's a, you know, there's a, the highway, highway six that runs, you know, that goes along the side of our reserve is being blocked right now, you know, like in, in solidarity with those folks on the, on the West coast. And you know what, the, these, these governments and these, these uh, policing agencies across the country need to start to understand that attack on one of our nations is attack on, is an attack on all of our nations. And the more that we're able to stand together, the more we're able to amplify each other, you know, like, uh, and, and even the, the, the non-native uh, settler ally folks that, you know, have stood shoulder to shoulder over and over and over again. Like, I can't say enough about how amazing it is because like for those folks, like we're like, you guys are just as responsible. You guys are just as responsible to uphold those treaties, and if your government is refusing to uphold those those, those rights and obligations that you know 
Like the only reason that you're able to sleep in your comfy little bed tonight to get up to go to work in the morning and pay your taxes is because of the genocide of the nations that were here before you got here. And so, you know what, to honor the fact that, that, that that's the case, like you better get out there. And if you can't get boots on the ground, you know what, you better be reaching in that pocketbook and, and, and dropping some dollars in the Yinta's GoFundMe or the, 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 um, the, the, um, Mi'kmaq, Mi'kmaq fishers, like helping out wherever you can, because you know what, it is absolutely imperative that we get out and stand on these front lines together. It's the only way that we get the wins. And you know what, we've been really lucky at, at Six Nations to have Gunnestado and Landback Lane come out as big wins. And so like those wins are few and far between. And the more that we're able to, to, to lift each other up and amplify and push and stand shoulder to shoulder with each other on those front lines, and this is the only way that we get get the wins in this. And and you, Layla, I'm assuming that you feel the same. I hear, see you nodding your head that yes, we have to stand in solidarity. Yeah, and you know, it's uh, it's. I, I had that feeling from the start that it is not just this one river. You know, like as magical and majestical as the the Wenziqua is, like. I stood there, drank from the river, an eagle flew over my head and landed on the other side. Like it was just a moment. It is a very special place, but it's all of, it's that connection that we have with the water. It's that it's, it, you know, it's, it's in our blood, it's in our bones, it's inside of us, it's within us. And that connection that we have to the land, um, you know, that that's, that's something that we're fighting for here. That's what we're really fighting for is to, to keep that and to honor that and respect that and, and have it be honored and respected by those colonial systems. Um, you know, and to do that, you know, this, this one act, this one moment, this day, these two days of raids, these standing in peace when you are being, uh, you know, compounded with, with violence, uh, and keeping that peace, I think that, created the space for indigenous voices to be heard for us to speak up for us to step into that space and decide you know what we what is right what is wrong and acknowledge that and start doing something about it making changes so um you know i know maybe you can't you can't get out to the inta or you can't go out west or you can't get to uh you know a front line but as we all work together that one little bit it's like that compound effect right and we all take that little step we all make that share we'll keep this dialogue going and make sure that it is not forgotten it is not swept under the rug with the you know tomorrow's breaking news but we continue to talk about it we continue to take action um and together we're a unified force Exactly. And and you, Loke, and even after being brutalized by the RCMP, you still believe that it's important we stand together? Yeah, you know, I know that's the most important thing right now, you know, because we got to set an example for these RCMP and this government, you know, and teach these, teach these guys how to love themselves and how to love each other. You know, everybody's got their gift from creator and we just need to, you know, take that gift, whatever it may be. And direct it towards uh, the front line in this fight right now because it's it's key and it's the time is now and well thank you for um for everything 
that all of you have done and will ever do and have ever done. I know sometimes these podcasts, there's things that, you know, we can laugh and joke about, but this, this is really serious. And the, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast is so that people can hear from you what actually happens behind the scenes, what you don't see in the pictures, the court process, you know, being transported to court, how you're treated in court, that it's like a corporation deciding your fate and not even governments and, and just how they will belittle uh, all, us, but that you all stand, you know, you all stand tall, you all represent your nation, really, and you represent the people and you give us hope and you're using your platforms, Logan, and, you know, Layla standing strong as a woman and Skylar, no matter how much the RCMP and CSIS and D&D and everybody's like, let's get Skylar, you're still there, you know, supporting people. You still take that risk to help us all. And that's huge. And I think the more people that do that, the safer we're going to be when we have more boots on the ground, more resources, more voices lifted. And there's tons that people can do, you know, so people can send donations. People can be boots on the ground. People can use their media outlets. They can use their voices. They can use their political power. They can use every platform they have like Logan did uh, to make sure that people are listening and all of the people that are um, engaged in this so that they know they're not alone. It does feel very lonely when they're trying to vilify you and, and, and say you're dangerous or you don't represent other people. But you know you have all the grassroots people across the country that are literally um, inspired and hopeful because of the things you do. So I, I, for one, thank you because everything you do makes a difference in Mi'kma'ki. You know, they know that we're a force to be reckoned with. So thank you for taking the time. Thank you for sharing what I know is difficult. Um, there's there's no other way to put the things that are happening, but just put it on the table and let people know how difficult it is. And I will always do whatever I can to help lift your voices and help support the causes, whether it's my nation or not. So thank you again, everybody, for being a part of this and helping to tell people what really happened. Absolutely. You know what? And it's our people that keep us safe. You know, it's not people with guns on their hips that keep us safe. It is us. So right on. Thank you for having, having me on the show again, fam. As always, lots of love. Layla, hello again. Love Yama. you guys. I love you. Thank you so much for having us here. I'm really thankful for Skylar, Layla, and Logan taking the time to come on this podcast today to talk about really difficult lived experiences with ongoing state-based violence from police forces like the RCMP. I mean, we're talking about people who are impacted physically, mentally, and emotionally from this kind of state-based violence, and not because they're criminals, not because they pose a threat to society, not because they've done anything wrong, but simply peacefully and with love stand up for our Wet'suwet'en brothers and sisters who are also peacefully and with love trying to defend their territories and their waters and their peoples from the violence and the devastation that is Coastal Gaslink Pipeline or any of the other projects that want to go through that territory. So I understand this was a, a really hard podcast to listen to. We're talking about, you know, a lot of 
lived experiences that are difficult, but I hope that it will give you a better understanding of what our land defenders go through on the ground. No one gets rich from doing this. No one gets famous from doing this. They are literally doing this out of a sense of love and obligation and commitment to one another. And so hopefully all of you will really think about what was said in this podcast, share it as widely as possible, and find ways that you can take action, whether it's through financial donations, whether it's boots on the ground, whether it's using your platform or influence to call for change, whether it's engaging with the media, pushing pressure on all levels of government and industry, we have got to end these ongoing grave human rights abuses that, as we all know from the National Inquiry into Murdered and Missing Indigenous Women and Girls, is a part of Canada's historic and ongoing genocide against Indigenous peoples. And it has got to stop. So do what you can to share the information, take action, and I will post links, of course, to where you can support the Wet'suwet'en and others and social media addresses so that you can follow people that are are doing this and sharing the information with the world. Thank you all so much for listening. Till next time, keep living a warrior life. Walaliag.